Ron. Good to see you again, Anthony. Great to see you too. It's uh, episode six of MAGA Uncovered, where we uncover the MAGA propaganda that is not covered by the mainstream media. I'm Anthony Davis. That's Twitter star Ron Filipkowski. Uh, I thought we'd start with the disgraced former president, Donald Trump, who's... Um, Marked a, a return to the large-scale rallies, despite the, the indictment of his previous presidential campaigns, speaking to a massive crowd gathered in the streets of a small South Carolina city of Pickens last Saturday. Um, Ron, you and I have been discussing this, uh, you know, just texting each other and stuff, and, and we're both in agreement that this is not really kind of the rally of the past. This is like political nationalism now that is playing out like a, a religion and Trump is the is the new messiah. Tell, tell us about Pickens. It was a big rally. I mean, there was a big turnout. I, I, I sort of get annoyed when people argue about crowd size because, look, we have no shortage of crazy people in this country. So, you know, he's going to draw crowds. Uh, and this particular area is Trump country. The, the surrounding uh, counties went 74, 76 percent for Trump twice. So he scheduled it here because, number one, South Carolina is an extremely important state for him in the primaries. And number two, he knew he was going to draw a big crowd in this particular area. But uh, but yeah, this this crowd was especially culty. <laughs> I'll just be clear. You said culty. Culty. Yeah. yeah. Culty. Yeah. Um, we have a video that maybe we, we should start with that just shows some of the rhetoric going on because there was some rather hilarious interviews of, of the crowd. It occurred to me, Ron, that people who support Donald Trump have absolutely no idea why. You know, they, they just, they're just like rolling with it. But if you really pin them down, they just can't tell you. Let, let's take a look at some of these clips and have a, have a look. Uh, what, why are you excited to be here? What, what made you want to come out? Um, because I love Trump. <laughs> what is it that you like about Donald Trump? He only tells the truth. Oh, that's a big thing, right? Telling the truth? Where you he is the best goat of, of a president that we've ever had. Well, and let me, I, I want to make sure the camera can see your time. What does that's it say? Right. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. And he wants to give autographs today. I have a beautiful picture of him too take an autograph on. Okay, that a lot of people's eyes are opening to what is more truthful and what's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Truth is a revolution right now, and that's not something that we've had in a long time. What should President Trump do on day one when he gets back in? Lock him up. Lock him up, right? The deep state, take it down? Take him to the train station. Take him to train station? I didn't say that. But the deep state's got to go, right? The deep state. I'm, I'm sure. But first, you got to expose the deep state, okay. and he's been working on that. Working and we on know it. One of the creatures is here, Lindsey Graham. Oh, I'm, there we go. What is the deep state anyway? I mean, I I don't think even Donald Trump really knows. I mean, to you and I, it's it's basically the government, isn't it? Yeah. Before I answer that, I, I will say I talked to I talked to Brian Glenn after that uh, lady talked about putting him on the trains, yeah. you know, uh, and I sent him a, a screenshot of his face uh, when she said that because <laughs> I, I wanted to see what he had to say. So, yeah, I mean, these things are very helpful to me. I, I've covered these Trump and I'll talk about the deep state question in a second. I've covered, I've been to many Trump rallies, talked to thousands of people at Trump rallies. 
to me, I'm much more fascinated. I've always been by the people. I, I don't really care about the speakers or listening to Trump. It's the same speech every time, pretty much. Um, it, I'm fascinated by the people and I will walk through the parking lots and I'll read their bumper stickers and look at what's on their cars. I look at the merch stands. I talk to the vendors. Hey, what T-shirt is hot this week? And I, I really want to get a good feel for who these people are and what they believe and, and and demographically to get it size them up as we as we saw there a pretty good snapshot uh, pretty representative but as far as what they believe and why they like Trump yes i mean one of my favorite questions that Brian asks a lot cuz i i request him to ask it is <laughs> why do you love Trump and and that's my favorite question so they'll typically ask that question and he'll also ask um what do you want to hear him say today from the speech from he's looking for policy things and inevitably you never you never get an answer to those questions you know when when they ask well what do you hope to hear from him they're always kind of stumped and that well i don't know you know i just I just looking forward to hearing what he has to say get back in there you know that they they never they don't kind of rattle off policy <laughs> you know so as far as the deep state goes look what they view the reason why they love trump is this they view the government, and you'll hear this term uniparty. They view the, the Republican Party, the leaders of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party as the same, one and the same. That's why they call them the uniparty. And they are propped up by the deep state, which is civil servants, people who work in the government, for the post office, for the State Department, for the Department of Defense, all the civilian workers that make up the government for DOJ. And those are the permanent people. So political appointees come and go, but the people who work there for their whole careers are the so-called deep state. And what they believe is that the reason why Donald Trump was unable to fulfill all the promises he made to them in 2016, which he didn't come through, whether it's build the wall or lock Hillary up or you name it, is because the deep state stopped him. And now he's learned his lesson. And the conquering hero is now going to go in and invoke Schedule F which is uh, an executive order that he's going to try and use to basically his plan is to fire 40,000 civil servants in key positions throughout the government, which has never been tried before. Just fire them without cause. And, and he's also presently compiling lists of people right now that he plans to put in those positions. And these people are all right wing hacks. So it's a very dangerous thing. So he made a speech about this, didn't he? One of those kind of in the shadows speeches that you report on yep. and that he puts out on his campaign website. And, and he basically said that, you know, everyone's going to have to do a test. And if that's they're right. disloyal, then they're not going to be able to keep their jobs. And that's exactly the opposite of what the civil service is supposed to be like. Anybody who's ever worked for, for a federal agency, you know, when, when I worked at the U.S. Attorney's Office in, in Georgia, I mean, this, this, the, we were all sort of hired by the presidential appointee, and we were all supposed to stay out of politics. Our assistants, our secretaries, our paralegals, they were supposed to have no political involvement whatsoever. We didn't talk politics in the office. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how our government is supposed to be run. And what Trump wants is, no, he doesn't want people like that. He wants overtly political people in all positions throughout the government, not just political appointees, but career people, um, which, which is a very dangerous thing. And what you, what you mentioned, he wants them to take yeah, loyalty slash patriotism exams in order to keep their jobs, which is, which is probably illegal, but also pretty insane. 
this is the downside or one of the many downsides to having somebody who has held the presidency who has never held any public office before. Yeah. Because they don't understand how the civil service works. They don't understand that kind of inbuilt desire by civil servants to want to do the right thing for the good of the country ahead of politics. And that, you know, people can leave their politics in, in the reception area and not take it into the office. And he would, wouldn't know that. So he's yeah. upending the whole system because he doesn't have a grasp of what the civil service slash deep state is all about. Yeah, and then what, that's one thing we've learned from a lot of people who are left the administration, who are fired or left, and from their memoirs, their books, their TV interviews, what we learned is that Trump was told no hundreds and hundreds of times by these people. He had all kinds of zany, harebrained, crazy ideas. And they kept telling him over and over again, you can't do that. That's not legal. That you know, you, president doesn't have that power. The way he looks at the presidency is that every part of the government works for him, him personally, directly, like Trump Incorporated. Yeah. That that they're the employees of the government are just like employees of his business. And that's and how he ran the Trump organization, loyal. right? Yeah, that's, and they that's, have to be loyal to him. It's a family yeah. business, and it's yeah. it's like a kind of mafia setup, isn't it? It's yeah. it's it's the the way the mob would run a business. Let's let's go back to the rally because Trump has become a pastiche of himself now, right? He's watched himself on TV so many times. He's like impersonating himself, which means he's doubling down on the stuff that he's saying. He's, you know, all the catchphrases and all the, you know, he just like is reveling in this. And the more attention that he gets and the more cheers and support and this was a very well supported um rally. Uh, wasn't it? I mean, there was a, there was plenty of people there, so it's it's not like he has a diminishing crowd in that environment. There was plenty of people there. There was one person though who did not get the kind of reception that Trump got. Tell us about Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham's relationship with MAGA has been on a roller coaster ride since two, 2016, um, and I think it's completely off the tracks now. I mean, it started out bad. Of course, he was running against Trump, and he. Said a lot. He was one of the one of the people really attacked. He was like the Chris Christie of 2016. Yeah. He attacked Trump pretty regularly. Um, then you know when he got knocked out, he he changed his tune. Uh, although he was backing some other people at first, but then he got behind Trump, changed his tune. Then spent the entire four years of the Trump administration doing everything he could to ingratiate himself with Trump and MAGA. Uh, was the point man for getting his three Supreme Court justices through. So I I think. Little by little, he sort of earned his way back into the good graces of Trump and MAGA, and they kind of started to accept him. And then January 6th happened. Yeah. And then and he goes, he got that's up it. And that's I'm it. Out. I'm out. I'm, I'm done. And I I'm tried. Done. And they, I can tell you that MAGA hated him more than any other person in Congress at that point. They, really? they completely held him responsible. And, and, they chased him through the airport. I mean, there's the famous video on Twitter of them. He was trying to get through the airport and he had security and they were just screaming at him and running, <laughs> running through the airport, yelling and screaming at him. And, he, and so then he so then he spent the next two years trying to get back in the good graces again with MAGA. And they've kind of like not trusted him a little bit, but not sure about him, et cetera. But uh, then then you see this uh, 
this rally here. And and I knew, you know, you heard that last guy in that interview in that clip. He's saying, we got one of these weasels here, Lindsay. So the only question is, you know, Lindsay got heckled and booed is I'm questioning. And this is, by the way, is his home county. This is where he grew up. So my question is, was he expecting this? I, I kind of tend to think he wasn't because he he seemed a little taken aback and surprised yeah. and he didn't really have a good way to handle it other than, you know, just get booed off stage. He, he was trying to ingratiate himself by saying, you know, I was born here and I love Trump. It was like he was literally like running out of things to spin to try and get the audience on his side. It really was a kind of last act of a desperate man. <laughs> Here's the clip. God bless America. I love the way he slammed the podium at the end. He's just like, right, I'm out. Same five minutes before. Five yeah, minutes, I mean, yeah. clearly he intended to speak for like 15 minutes, but yeah. he did five. He was booed the entire speech and just ran off stage, as you just saw. So, so I would say the uh, relationship with Lindsey Graham and MAGA is irretrievably broken. I already talked to some of the Trump campaign people about this, and they said they feel like he is definitely going to be a primary get face a primary opponent in four years from from the right i want to talk about mums for liberty if we can just move to that because this has been something that is ricocheting around the internet at the moment the idea that this this kind of um group of mums that has now grown and is in you know multiple multiple states um connected by social media you know a little bit like al-qaeda they have they have no home base but there's there's a lot of internet presence um that that actually their relationships with the far right, the Proud Boys, and and this lot is, and even the language that they've been using in some of their paraphernalia, which has been you know come straight from Adolf Hitler, quotes from Adolf Hitler, and and there's some controversy a few days ago because ABC News were trying to were effectively legitimising Mums for Liberty when when reporting about them and and just didn't make any reference to the fact that they are an extremist organization. Just tell us a little bit about the, the scandal associated with Mums for Liberty. Well, I watched this organization grow from day one, um, three years ago, because um, it started right here in the town that I live in. It started in Sarasota, Florida, uh, with Christian and Bridget Ziegler. Christian is the chair of the Republican Party of Florida. Bridget is his wife. He's on the school board. And they're the ones who started it. Um, they and 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 they continue to advise it. Um, this is not what they the propaganda that they want you to believe is that this group formed organically and it formed organically out of COVID and and that this is this is what they claim and this is all lies that um, what happened was moms were watching kids being. Um, getting virtual education, education at home. They were overhearing the lessons for the first time, and they were shocked to hear all this horrible stuff that kids were learning about sex and, and, and CRT and all this terrible stuff. Trans, that stuff. And, and, and that and woke, the them, and woke up yeah. the mama bears, right? Yeah. This is all a lie. It's, it's a lie because I watched it form. And how it formed, it, it really started with Chris Rufo and his gang of people who and and I've saw their original memos and their outlines of their of their plan and the overarching plan here with moms for and by the way a huge percentage 
if not 80 or 90% of Moms for Liberty, have no kids in the public school system. Yeah. They either homeschool their kids, they're in charter schools, religious schools. Uh, the Ziegler's kids are in private schools. I mean, they, they, what they want is they want to destroy the public school system. What they want is the tax dollars to go to homeschooling parents, to go to religious charter schools, religious private schools, and and this group is organized to tear down the public school system at the school board level across the country by putting their people in positions of influence in school boards and then redirecting funds into charter schools. And they want to take a test case to the Supreme Court, which I expect to happen out of Oklahoma, because Oklahoma just became the first state to send tax dollars to a Catholic school. And that case is clearly unconstitutional. The attorney general of Oklahoma, who is a Republican, says it's unconstitutional. So that he's going to challenge it. It's going to go up to the Supreme Court. And who knows what this Supreme Court is going to do? Because if the Supreme Court rules that that local governments can start sending tax dollars to homeschoolers and to private schools, religious schools, well, that's the beginning of the end of the public schools. But, but they will, Ron. They will. I mean, yeah, it, well it, it's... It, it, it really surprises me that people seem so shocked at how this far-right Christian nationalist Supreme Court is, is making all of these rulings, three in the, in the last week, that, that it, you know, is, is the opposite of, of democracy, the opposite of fairness and equality. The, everything that goes to the Supreme Court is going to end up being ruled in favor of the, the Christian nationalists. And, you know, I want to be clear, because someone picked me up on this last time, they were like, you know, what have you got against Christians? We've got nothing against Christians. Christian nationalism is an extremist form of religious fundamentalism. And that is, it's just not part of the kind of normal, what you would consider normal worship. It's, it's, it's extremism, and it's no different to the type of extremism that you might have a problem with that takes place, say, in the Middle East. It, it's imposing your Christian beliefs on others who, who do, I'm Christian. You know, my wife is the is the children's director at a evangelical church. Okay, so I'm not an anti-Christian guy. It's just that, yeah, what you, Christian nationalism is imposing your Christian worldview on the military, on the public school system, on the government, and that's what. That's what we have never been about as a country, but but that could change. You just said the the I expect the U.S. Supreme Court to make more rulings next year, rolling some of these separation of church and state things back. I mean, all of them. That's the way I see it now. You know, I'm just yeah. of the view that we have to. We, we're always a little too optimistic. You know, oh, they'll do the right thing. Well, who are you talking about? You know, who's going to do the right thing? Clarence Thomas. I mean, give me a break. Let's just have a look at one of the tweets that you reposted this week. Tell us about this. Yeah, so this is the controversy over the Hitler quote, you know, that, that one of the Moms for Liberty chapters quoted Hitler on, their, on the top of their newsletter. So they have their big annual meeting, by the way, which is this past weekend. And what was really huge about this was every single presidential candidate, just about, I think almost every one, including Trump and DeSantis, spoke at this conference. So that shows the clout that they're gaining on the right. And Ziegler, who's here, the chair of the Republican Party of Florida, shows up. And in addressing the controversy over the Hitler quote, he said, don't apologize. 
Never apologize for everything. I think apologizing makes you weak. The, the axis of this is that is the personal philosophy of Roy Cohn, Trump's mentor and attorney, who also was an attorney for Mac uh, Joseph McCarthy and the McCarthy Commission. That is his philosophy on life. That went to Donald Trump, which has now gone to Christian Ziegler, which is now infecting Moms for Liberty, which is, you just quoted Hitler, you got called out by the whole country. Don't apologize, never apologize. That's a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of being human. ABC News put out a tweet with a photograph of these two Mums for Liberty said, Mums for Liberty are fired up in Philadelphia. And, you know, there's an image of these two mums, one at the podium behind a backdrop of the Bill of Rights. And ABC News wrote, these mums call themselves joyful warriors, but they're mad, mad at teachers, principals and the president, and they're fighting back. Ron, this is a mainstream news organization that is owned by Disney that is not flagging the fact that Mums for Liberty are an extremist, anti-freedom organization. I mean, this is like the crossing the Rubicon now, isn't it? We're now at that point where, you know, if you call yourselves Mums for Liberty, to the untrained ear, people are going to be like, yeah, you know, what's bad about that? It's a bit like the phrase pro-life. You know, it's, it's not pro-life, it's anti-abortion. But, you know, by rebranding it pro-life, you know, some people who don't hold those views are more able to get on board. I mean, now that the mainstream media is embracing these types of organizations, what does that say about America slipping into this, into this kind of extremist space? Well, I mean... You know my position. I believe that these things need to be covered, but they need to be covered right. Yeah. And it just shows the the fundamental lack of understanding by whoever did that story. And I did see the story, but I don't remember who wrote it, um, about really the underpinnings of these groups and who they are. And and the basis of it is these groups are, like you said, they're they're conjured up by the internet. You can we're a big country. We're what, 330 million people. You can always find isolated incidents, as we talked about with pride parades or the George Floyd, the BLM. You can always find crime incidents and loop them and loop them and make and blow it up into something bigger than really it is. So you can always find a textbook here or a textbook there with some sexualized stuff or racy stuff. You can always find a teacher who maybe went a little too far with their comments in the classroom. And they just blow this up like it's some kind of epidemic in our public school system. But when you go to these people and you say to them, as I do frequently, tell me one school in your local area where CRT is being taught or where they're grooming children. Name a school and they will inevitably say, well, I, you know, we don't really have any here, but I hear it's going on in other yeah. places. You know, that's the common response. Uh, this is, you know, it's, it's a pox that is really kind of working its way through America that unless people like yourself stand up and shout, you know, loud enough, that it will kind of infiltrate all areas of the media and, and it will become, it will have less of a, you know, extremism is only extremism if you take the position of being, of having a moral compass and of being, um, you know, a moderate person. And then you can see that extremism is extremism. But I fear that that kind of moderation is being blurred in American society. And, and people don't really know what to think. 
Well, that's why I put on my Twitter bio that I'm the chair of the normal caucus, you know, because I try to think that I I try to represent those people in the middle of the country and the silent middle, I call them, because there is this huge, you know, part of the Republican Party, I would say 40, 50 percent, who's not online. They're not on social media. They don't watch Fox. They're just going about their daily lives and, you know, coaching their kids' little league teams and things like that. So they only start paying attention come closer to elections. So, so yes, really what the whole purpose of what I try to do with social media and this show and other thing, other platforms is to try and show those, those specific voters, they're really my target audience, to show those specific voters, this, this is what MAGA is. This is the movement that has taken over your party. This is what they are. This is what they believe. Do you really want to be associated and affiliated with these people? But what's so hard is trying to find where the pendulum swings to that central point that is normal, because you could argue that 10 or 12 or 15% of the population that is of the LGBTQ community, people might not think that that is normal. And yet what we're saying is that to be part of the gay community or to be gay is normal, but that is being painted as something that is separate. And so you really do need a, a, a quite a decent level of critical thinking to be able to separate the normal from the abnormal, knowing that, you know, trans people are normal, put them in the normal pot. But why are mums for liberty in the abnormal pot or the extremist pot? And that, I think, is what is so confusing for the average American is to is to compartmentalize because the Americans love to compartmentalize. You know, I've found this since moving here. It's like, you know, what box does that does that yeah. belong in? And that's why this is so confusing. Well, because take the because if you hold up or you just take a picture of, let's say, a trans person, they might look different. They might dress different. Their hair might be different. And you hold up a Moms for Liberty and they might look like June Cleaver, you know, yeah. the, the well, Stepford Wives. they look like the Tea Party. They, so, so one outwardly, I guess, appears, quote unquote, normal, and the other one doesn't. When yeah. in reality, the views of the two people, the, the views of yeah. the trans person might be much more moderate and normal than the Moms for Liberty person. Exactly. And, yeah. and, this, and this is the fundamental problem that the U.S. is going to have going into the 2024 election, is that what looks to be completely safe and trustworthy, that kind of soccer mum thing, yep. is actually far more detrimental to freedom and to uh, equality than, say, a, a trans person reading a, a, a book to school children. Um, it's, you know, we're screwed, basically, is what I'm saying. We're screwed. Let's talk for a second about one of Donald Trump's henchmen, uh, one of his speechwriters and advisors, Stephen Miller. Uh, we mentioned last time that he's launched a project, uh, America First Legal. He's um, put out a little video, which I'll play. Just tell us about it before I, before I show the clip. Well, you know, I will say this. There are, there are groups, there, there are people like him and Tom Fitton, you know, is another one. There's more than that who are not lawyers, but they're looking for a way to grift. They're looking, you know... At, after the Trump administration winds up, who's going to hire Stephen Miller? You know what I mean? Like, what exactly can Stephen Miller do? He has a bachelor's degree in history or something, uh, and he worked for Donald Trump, and he's one of the most hated people in America. And he has no personality, and he probably, 
you know, sleeps hanging upside down in a closet somewhere. So who's who's exactly going to hire Stephen Miller? You know, well, yeah, so no one. And, and the same thing with a guy like Tom Fitton or Jason Miller. So they have to create their own jobs. And, and so what you have with people like Stephen Miller and Fitton is they're not lawyers, but they've decided to create legal organizations, raise money and hire lawyers. How do they raise money? Well, they go out there and they claim that they're filing all these important big lawsuits and they're and and they they make these big announcements, but they don't actually ever end up doing anything, you know, winning actual court cases, accomplishing anything. They're just making noise and raising money. It's and the that's grift. basically what Stephen Miller is doing right now. Okay. Let's let's see his uh, his public service announcement. Stephen Miller here, president of America First Legal. Today, we sent a warning letter to the deans of 200 law schools around America, telling them that they must obey the Supreme Court's ruling, striking down illegal racial discrimination and affirmative action. If they try to violate, circumvent, bypass, subvert, or otherwise program around that ruling, we are going to take them to court. We are going to hold them to account. He is a snake, isn't he? In a, in a, in a royal blue suit. Um, the problem with this is that it sounds very compelling, doesn't it? And, and, you know, if you are a university and you're receiving a legal letter like this, how are you going to respond? You're going to throw it in the trash. I well, mean, hopefully. all he's trying to do is get people to send him money. You yeah. know? <laughs> I mean, he's never going to bring any of these lawsuits. I mean, it, this, is all, this is all nonsense. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all just like a game that he's playing until, you know, hopefully Trump for hopefully for him, Trump can get elected and he can get back into the government. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's foolish. Uh, if somebody actually wants to sue, sue a law school, they're not going to hire Stephen Miller. They're going to hire a real lawyer if they have a case. You know, there's lots of these characters in Trump's orbit who are, yes. you know, on a on a similar grift and. People who have, you know, people, it's not just Trump making money out of the Trump brand and the former Trump presidency, but there are, there are so many people that have taken advantage, not, not least the ones yes. that have springboarded to, to becoming television personalities. You know, oh, but, you go on and on. Cash right. Patel, Steve Bannon, uh, Roger Stone, they're all yeah. out, Michael Flynn, they're all out there making money off, off you know, what they did in the Trump administration. Yeah. And I want to talk about um, this rather interesting woman, Julie Green. She, she claims to be a prophet of MAGA, uh, and she's put a little video out. Just, just lead us into this. Well, the reason why I post her is because people don't realize she has a massive following. I mean, she gets on her. She does a podcast on Rumble because YouTube would never allow her on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. But she gets like 180,000, 200,000 views every week on these. And and basically, and not only that, she does these traveling events uh, with the Reawaken America tour, which is the tour that is run by um, Michael Flynn and a guy named Clay Clark. Uh, Eric Trump is involved in it. Cash Patel is involved in it. Rick Brunel has spoken at these. Um, Julie Green is one of the people who's one of the main speakers at these events. So she's she's a somebody in the MAGA movement. So what she also claims is that God gives her prophecies and speaks to her every week. And then she reads these. And so I post them. And what I'm what I'm trying to do, and I know it it annoys the hell out of MAGA that I post Julie Green videos because she's an embarrassment to them. Yeah. I mean, they want her on stage because of her following. 
but they they also know that she's incredibly embarrassing if if she's held up to the general public. And so that's what I'm trying to do is basically expose the fact that she's a charlatan and all these people who are trying to be legitimate are connected to her. She kind of talks in tongues. It's it's really interesting. Here she is. I told you, my children, don't worry about the things that you see because the things that you see are temporary. What they are trying to do to your rightful president, that's a laughing matter. There will be no indictment of my son, not the way they wanted it to go. Oh, no, no, no. The indictments? Oh, yes, there will be indictments, I promise you. But it will be indictments for those one, the ones, excuse me, for the ones who are trying to make this indictment. Because this is a time of seed time and harvest. And I told you before, many, many times, in many other words, I have given to you. They are reaping a harvest. They have no idea what's coming. I am an end to their plans because I am the great I am. What the so hell is she talking about? She's re that's what God told her. So the interesting thing is if you look on her clock radio behind her, it's, yep. it says March. It's got the date on it. It was um, 529. That was uh, right before she said Trump will not be indicted. That was right before Trump was indicted. So, yeah. <laughs> so God was wrong there on that prediction. But what, what she does is she'll, she'll also like every six months or so, she'll go back and play like her predictions that quote unquote came true. Well, you know, when you're predicting every week, you know, 50 different things, eventually something is going to happen that yeah. kind of fits. So this week she was all triumphant that the uh, the wildfires in Canada fulfilled one of her prophecies from two years ago, uh, where she she trotted out the tape where it said there will be smoke in the sky and that's going to signal that D.C. is going to is going to burn to the ground or something. So she was trotting, try, uh, very happy this week that that prophecy came true with the Canadian wildfires. <laughs> it's, it, it, was, it was, yeah, it was a wild stab in the dark. She did well. Yeah. I mean, the fact that she's predicting indictments, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah I, I'm also predicting indictments. Um, we have to talk about Ron DeSantis uh, or Rob DeSanctimonious because he has taken a bit of a tumble in the last couple of weeks. He's really awesome. very much fallen behind not just in the polls but in the hearts and minds of republican voters i have a little clip of him which i'll play while we talk about it but just explain yeah. to me how the because he came in like a like a you know a huge kind of ball of fire and now it's like a, a burned ember i was talking to somebody with the trump campaign yesterday about this uh we were going back and forth all day uh about where he went wrong here and 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 i think the consensus that we came is he eased into this what what he needed to do when you're the underdog and you're taking on the champ you're taking on the incumbent you know you've got to come out swinging all guns blazing ad buys rallies you know you got all kinds of stuff planned that's the opposite of what desantis has done desantis has not spent even spent any money 
He's still doing fundraisers. He's got like $200 million in his pack. And he, he didn't announce it. for a while, did he? Do you remember? There was all that period for a month or two where the media were like, well, are you going to announce? Are you going to announce? Yeah, and he was like, oh, I'm well, I'm not, you know, you'll find out. And it was like, well, why are you playing with people here? You either go, you have to go in big, all in or, or not. And he was, he was pussyfooting around, tiptoeing around it. Yeah. And the, in the meantime, Trump is hammering him every single day yeah. doing ads and so i think that that was desantis's big mistake as far beside uh, aside from him being a terrible candidate with a terrible plan um it, it, when i say his plan i mean his whole messaging that he took into this campaign is so dumb which is you know to brag about how great florida is mm. and say florida is just one i mean he goes into these living rooms in iowa or these small events in new hampshire and he's talking about how great florida is these people don't want to hear that if, if they thought florida was great they would move here they like where they live but he can't he's hardly ever even been outside of well, florida he only knows life. he only knows florida the only other problem florida. was that his message yeah. was far too extreme for these other places That's and he right. didn't really consider that there are more moderate views outside of florida and while he might have convinced floridians to become extremists and have far-right views it's going to take a whole lot more to convince everybody else he's, well, what, he's put it go on just before i play he, the video what he did us. was he convinced a million right-wingers to move to florida right. during his first term and right. that's why he won so big but you know those other states are not like what what the demographics are here you know? so he's put out this video to kind of rubbish trump which in the process is is maybe too extreme for even many republicans um we don't have the audio of it but we do have the video for legal reasons but uh, just explain what it is that he's done with this video well, this is to try and show that Trump is um, is pro-gay, is pro-LGBTQ. And what, what yeah. they're doing is, and Trump has always courted the gay, Trump wants two things from the gay community, their votes and their money, mostly yeah. the second part, their money, um, which is why he hosts the Log Cabin Republicans. That's Lady Maga, by the way, who I've debated, <laughs> which is a, um, a drag queen, a, uh, he goes he goes by he uses the pronouns he but is a drag queen that shows up at different um maga events so what he's trying to do here with this video is show that you know trump is pro gay and you know and first of all the ad is very cringy but second of all you know what exactly are you trying to say is wrong with that i mean it's not like trump is trumpeting gay rights the only thing this video is saying is that Trump sometimes, you know, is fine with being seen around gay people. And, you know, Trump had Rick Grinnell in his uh, his cabinet as well and appointed as an ambassador. So um, this ad was just a terrible idea. It was done by, I think, Christina Pushaw, who's his social media director. And it may cost her her job because there's been such tremendous backlash from Republicans, not from Democrats, from Republicans about that ad saying it was just really nasty and mean-spirited. Well, it may cost him the presidency or certainly the primary because, you know, I think this goes back to that conversation about where the pendulum swings and where, where is that kind of normal. And, and I do believe that, you know, for all of the extremism in the MAGA brigade, there are still Republicans 
who understand that to be gay is normal and that they have gay friends and family and they may be gay themselves, even if they're not out. And, and this is something that, you know, what happens in reality versus this kind of parallel universe that are two very different things. And unfortunately, what, what DeSantis did is he chose the wrong one. He chose the parallel universe. He didn't choose the reality. He fell for it. He fell for his own marketing. Yeah. I mean, Trump's sort of smart with how he, he's able to handle uh, his gay supporters and keep them in the fold without alienating MAGA who hates gay people. Yeah. I mean, this is what Trump is good at. He has this, ta- he does have certain talents. As much he even as we did hate it the with guy. Lindsey Graham yeah. after he got up, after Lindsey Graham left the stage, Trump got on stage yeah. and somehow he managed to convince the audience that, oh, Lindsey's okay. You know, he's a good guy. And the way he did it was actually the first time I'd, I'd actually heard Trump's brain working. Because he used language that required, you know, it was manipulative, but it was and it was grifty, but it required a certain, you know, element of, of intellect to make make it work. Well, he read he read his crowd and 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 that's what he does. That's why I say like the base sort of it's a push pull. It's not it's not Trump giving edicts to the base. Sometimes the base gives edicts to Trump and he does pay attention and that's he does read the room. Uh, that's where he differs from DeSantis. So yeah, what he did is he said, well, you know, we, we know Lindsay's a worm and he's really a liberal, but you know, sometimes he comes through for us and we need his vote. So we'll tolerate him. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty smart. Uh, although it was horrible for Lindsey Graham. I mean, he just yeah. threw Lindsey under the bus. It, it was, it was agony. And, uh, I loved all five minutes of it. Um, <laughs> I have predicted that Carrie Lake is very likely to be Trump's running mate. Now, I know you disagree with me. Mm. Um, and the reason I say this is because I kind of feel like she is so sycophantic and he's kind of running out of, of options. You know, he's alienated so many people and she's got the gift of the gab and that's what he needs. And the fact that she hasn't won anything is probably the only thing that's going to put Trump off. But she's been doing a book tour and she, you know, she's now saying that God told her that she had to, was it that God was made her lose the, the, the governorship or something? I can't God remember what it was. God told her to run. God, yeah. God told her to run. That's right. Yeah. So tell us about what's happened now, because she was at Bedminster randomly, wasn't she? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely never really thought he would choose her just because I thought, you know, she's only run one time and she lost yeah. in a state that he really needs to win. Yeah. So I thought, you know, it he probably wouldn't pick her. But but yeah, I mean, there is a lot of stuff happening recently that kind of makes me think it's a possibility. Be, uh, the two things the two things are, number one, she shadows him everywhere he goes, like everywhere, Iowa, Bedminster, Florida. She's like supposedly has a room at Miralago now. Is re- reporting she stays there now. So uh, clearly, there's something going on. I mean, a lot of people have speculated that she has has a personal relationship with Trump. Who knows? But you know, we do know that she is definitely like intertwined with him. And I've noticed, by the way, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who who wants that role, is there's some there's some jealousy developing there. I've noticed. So that's one thing that makes me indicate why is Carrie Lake spending so much time with Trump traveling around? And number two, she hasn't declared for Senate. I mean, the whole, everybody in Arizona believes she's going to run for the Senate. Yeah. And 
you would have thought she would have declared months ago, but for some reason she hasn't. So that 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 kind of tells me that maybe she is angling for a running mate. Because if she's running for Senate, she can't she can't really run for Senate and then six months later drop out of that. I mean, she's a hundred percent running running for for running mate. Absolutely. I mean, maybe right. Look at, I'll play the clip, Ron. Just look at her body language when Trump shows up. Here it is. You know what else? She's masterful at working Trump. She yeah. knows exactly how to work and manipulate Trump. Yeah. And, you know, you can see it. If you, if you have a keen eye, you can really see the way she tries to get his gaze, like to capture him. I think she's trying to make him fall in love with her, you know, so it becomes a kind of romantic connection or something because it's weird. You know, there's, there's, there's definitely some weirdness there. I mean, maybe she does think he is the Messiah. Maybe she, there is a kind of, you know, maybe God's told her to look at him like that. We have to look at her journey. I mean, six, seven years ago, she was a Buddhist who voted for Obama, you know, yeah. <laughs> I guess 10 years ago. Um, and here we are with, you know, so she's done a, now she's born again, Christian MAGA. Uh, so quite the but evolution. What happened? I mean, what, what, what was the, she said a friend what? took her to a fundamentalist church service one day and she said, God spoke to her and she saw the light and she realized that everything she was doing was wrong and everything she thought was wrong. And, Wow. And here she is. She's been radicalized, basically. I mean, yeah. That's, that's what it is. And she is convinced of it. And she, she craves power. You can see it. She's like, a, if you had to, like, do a baddie in a Marvel movie or something, you know, you could put Carrie Lake in that, in that role. I find her completely fascinating, you know, and terrifying at the same time. And, and also, you know, people that have worked in television and know how to use the TV and use cameras and, and communicate down the barrel of the lens, it, that's, that really is a skill. And she has all those skills. There have been many people come along that tried to become Trump, you know, and tried to copy Trump. Whether jo Josh Hawley is a good example, uh, DeSantis is another, who, who try to copy his mannerisms, the way of speak, his messaging. She is the only one that seems to be pulling it off. Yeah. She, she really has sort of recreated a female version of Trump. It's, it's fascinating. Um, let's talk about uh, another uh, female version of Trump, Mike Pence. The, um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> the whitest I, you know, you man in America. That, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> endorsing that. <laughs> I mean, like you know. I'm Brian Glenn right now at the Trump rally. <laughs> okay. Well, each, each to their own. Um, Mike Pence has uh, taken a trip to Ukraine and he met with Volodymyr Zelensky. And, and the MAGA people did not like that, did they? Oh, no, this set them off. I mean, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, they liked Pence until January 6th. I mean, yeah. Pence was a loyal, you couldn't get more loyal than Pence. Right. And then they decided to hang him. And so then all of a sudden of a it was like overnight they hated him and, yeah. and, that, didn't, and that didn't dissipate. But, but, you know, lately, you know, Trump has been praising Pence a lot. And I think because he's worried about Pence testifying against him and what he's going to say. Absolutely, yeah. Because Pence really has a lot of dirt on him. So I think he's trying really hard to make nice with Pence and he has mm. not criticized Pence. So, 
So I think that MAGA was starting to sort of things were thawing out. And I even heard some people in MAGA say, well, you know what, maybe maybe Pence would run, be his running mate again. Who knows, you know, starting to entertain that idea. And then the Ukraine trip happened. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, Pence came out with the strongest language in support of Ukraine and Zelensky that I have heard from any Republican besides Lindsey Graham. I mean, probably as strong as you could possibly get. And I can tell you, MAGA went absolutely nuts. They, the bridges are burned now. I mean, they, they absolutely despise him after this trip. Here's a, here's a uh, tweet that Mike Pence put out. It says, From the moment Russia engaged in this unprovoked act of aggression, I've strongly supported American efforts to give the Ukrainian fighters what they need to fight and win. Just tell us what you put at the top there. Well, yeah, I have no use for Pence, but at least he's, you know, one of the people that's coming out and, and taking a strong position. And he did a, a second tweet where he went even further than that, where he yeah. criticized Trump, yeah. where he actually said, you know, for anybody to say that there's a moral equivalency here or they could end the war in 24 hours, that's just nuts. So he actually went out of his way to criticize Trump, which I thought very unpence-like, showed a little courage. I think him going over into that country which was at war, sort of gave him a little bit of spine, at we least should... for a day. <laughs> <laughs> Bri yeah, briefly. Uh, yeah. Um, we should remind people, I think it's important to keep reminding people that when Donald Trump says that he could end the war in 24 hours because he knows both parties, right? Yeah. What he actually means is that he will insist that areas within Ukraine are annexed and given over to Russia. And that is his plan for ending the war is basically giving Putin what he wants. There's it... only one way to end the war in 24 hours. And that's to cut off all USAID to Ukraine. That's yeah. the only way to do it. Yeah. Um, because without USAID, they would be in big, big, big trouble because yeah. Europe really hasn't stepped up. It's stepped up to some degree, but not not so much. UK mostly, but that's about it. And uh, and so that's the only way to end it in 24 hours. And if anyone doubts that that's what Trump would do, I mean, you don't know Trump. Yeah, he, he is he is very much on the side of Putin, as are so many of his surrogates. And, you know, they they don't even hide it anymore. No, they are absolutely explicit about their their views. Um, let's talk about um, uh, Coma and McCarthy and MAGA getting impatient with them over this investigation because, you know, Coma's gone on TV and made a few kind of statements that have no substance and Steve Bannon's not happy about it. Tell us about what's happening with this kind of faux investigation of the Biden family. I think... MAGA is finally had enough with being promised things that don't happen. I mean, we had lock her up, right? Lock her up, lock her up in 2016. Was she locked up? No. Was there any investigations? No. Then they heard, you know, the election was going to get overturned and blah, 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 blah. And there was all these lawsuits and all these big promises made. And, you know, Trump was going to get reinstated. Never happened. None of that happened either. So then for the last year, Comer has been, and I've documented this, Comer has been doing interviews saying, when we get in there, we've got all this proof. We've got the goods. Yeah. And as soon as we get in there, these people are all going to swing. You know, they're all going to yeah. be indicted. And so here we are. What are we, six, seven months in? What do we got? We, we just keep hearing Nothing. about 
in whistleblowers and yeah. evidence and tapes and this and that. And then and then he goes on the Sunday shows every Sunday and he gets pinned down. Well, where are these people? Where are the tapes? Well, we're working on that. And so, yeah, I posted a clip uh, where Bannon basically just blew his blew his top and just had enough after the most recent incompetent James Comer interview. He's just like, man, you guys are idiots. You don't know what you're doing. You know, he, he, he just kind of lost it. And I thought it was pretty funny. To June, tell me what you're going to do. You've got Comer. You've got the power. And also, Comer, when you show up on, on, on a Ducey show this morning, the guy's lighting you up. When he asked you a question, you talked about six things. What are they? What, what's the crime? What are they? Your staff has to have you ready. You can't sit there. Ba-dee, 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 ba-dee. Boom, 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 boom. Here's what it is. Here's the date. Boom. January 15th. They took money. Here's a wire transfer. His staff's got to get him up to speed. Don't think because you're going in Fox... It's going to be a friendly interview. They're part of the problem. Hannity may throw you a softball, but you go in this morning, Deucey just asks you, okay, where's the crime? Tell me what you got. You got to go, well, that's where we're going to go figure it. No, no, no. If you're going to make these allegations, boom, it was on this date, the money transferred, this is the policy they did, boom, this is how CCP did, boom, this is what they did, boom, this is what they did. It's simple. Take your number two pencil out and write it down. Hey, how about this? Get a staff. Hire some outside people. Let's see some of these great people in town that know this stuff backwards and forwards. Why are they not on your staffs? The reason is you're not serious. It's all performative. Boom, Ron. I mean, he's right. He's totally right. And he knows what he's talking about. As much as we hate to admit it, Bannon does have a clear vision. He's a very good political operator and you know consultant and... You know, he devised the whole kind of MAGA movement, really, didn't he? Gave gave Donald Trump that platform initially, create as much chaos as possible, confuse people, information overload, bring down the... He wanted to bring down the establishment. He first was the person who kind of coined the swamp phrase. So, you know, I mean, he should be in prison, obviously, for, for embellishing funds, but somehow he's not and somehow he has a podcast and so the MAGA people are now turning on each other yeah and I want to go to McCarthy too but let me let me just talk about Bannon because people ask me this all the time on social media why is Bannon not in jail yeah. so yes his um he he was allowed to stay the imposition of his six-month jail sentence I think he got six months um stay the imposition of that jail sentence pending his appeal his appeal is garbage you know it's never going to work so yeah, that's pretty unusual. Most people do not get to stay the imposition of their sentence pending appeal. It's very rare. So once again, they're always complaining about how unfair the justice system is. But, you know, 99% of defendants do not get to stay out of jail while their appeal's going on. Yeah. Um, so, so he's white and he's wealthy takes time. and he's privileged. Yeah. 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 I mean, appeals take, you know, nine months, a year, whatever. So it's going it, to... It, it's been about six months, so it's, it's the sands in his hourglass are running out. And by the way, I don't mind delays that bring us closer to the election because when people like him and Trump go to jail in like February 2024, that's even better than them going to jail now because the plan B option is not going to be in place that late in the game for, for these people uh, in terms of being being able to go to an alternative. So so that's as far as Bannon goes. Um uh, McCarthy has the same problem. I mean, McCarthy to get elected speaker 
promised all of these nutcases all this stuff that he was going to let them do with the impeachments, you know, of this person and that person. So he doesn't want to have these impeachments thing come to the floor. He, he doesn't want all this nutty stuff to happen. But, you know, he's got it. He's got a problem. The children in his caucus are threatening him, demanding him, threatening to remove him as speaker. So he's he's also in a, in a difficult position because he wants to hold the house. He's got a tiny 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 majority and he knows that if he does this crazy stuff that these people want him to do he's going to lose the house so how does he manage these crazy wing nuts and still hold the house i don't i don't know what the answer is for him there is a hope that a lot of the um kind of independent voters or undecided voters are going to vote for stability in joe biden rather than chaos in in MAGA Republicans and and the the state of of the U.S. House with Kevin McCarthy at the head, what are the chances of of people, you know, because historically I know this has happened in the U.S. before, you know, people who just want calm, even if it goes against their political ideology. I mean, how many Republicans are likely to vote for Biden, even if they don't tell their friends and family, just do it quietly in the polling place, because they don't want to be surrounded by this constant insanity you know and americans also have traditionally liked divided government it's kind of strange i mean that's why presidents always in their first midterms of their initial term always do badly is because americans tend to like to separation of powers and divided government if 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 one party holds the house and the presidency they like to have the senate in the hands of the other party so that's that's one thing about moderate voters that frustrates a lot of a lot of yeah. ideologues is is they like to do that. So, um, yeah, I, it, you know, the messaging, the extreme messaging in both parties comes from the representatives and districts that are safe, you know, where whether it's AOC, who's in a district that's 75 percent Democrat or Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's in a district that's 75% Republican, those are your bomb throwers. Those are your people who can stake out these extreme positions on right and left because they can pretty much say anything and get reelected. So can I, can I ask you, because yeah. I, I want to push back on something, because you know you are yeah. a conservative, right? So you do have, despite your hatred of the MAGA movement and Donald Trump, you know you have conservative values in your, in your heart. True. And you said last week and, and just now, extremism on both sides yeah yeah what is to you what is a, a democrat an extremist democrat view just explain to me because i you know i come from europe which is a pretty liberal place right so i don't see anything that is considered i would consider extreme here in the u.s coming out of the mouths of democrats whether it be alexander ocasio cortez or anybody else but what, what chimes with you as being extreme on the left well, I think it's it, there's much less it's much less dangerous in, in my view. Um the the as far as the far the far left people But what uh, is it? The, what is the far left? Well, okay, let's just say uh taxation, you know, regulations on businesses, uh foreign policy, you know, wanting to be ice, more isolationist. In in some in some ways the far left is has similar positions to the far right in terms of um in terms of defense spending. Um, like I said, making, making the percentage, the tax base higher, um, but it's only, it's only from the millionaires crime, and the billionaires. In, in it's in not from the regular crime people. too, you know, cashless bail, um, 
lessening penalty penalties in the criminal justice system for violent crimes. Um, you know, there's a there's a whole host of positions we could take them one by one that I think are pretty outside the mainstream that some people in the far left take. Um, so yeah, I mean, I certainly don't identify with with their voting records of of some of some people in the Democratic Party. For sure. Maybe we'll maybe we will in a future episode take those things I mean, one I, by one. I, I sure I could do that. I mean, I certainly but but I'm not running for office, but no, no, but, I I, but I certainly think that like for example, like abortion on demand up to up to nine months with no not for life of mother, not for you know, it's it just but there no, are some no one is who, no one on the left is calling that, for that. There there are some people who they're, who they're, they're not I promise you, Ron, I've looked. I mean there is it's there is no there's such thing as abortion wants, up to full term of pregnancy. It just doesn't exist. You're saying there's nobody on the left who wants abortion to be legal with no restrictions at any point in the at six months or five months. You're saying no one on the left holds that position. Not as far as I'm aware. Like, I, I'll send you clips. Okay, I would love. I would love to see I'll them. I'll send you. I'll send you plenty of clips. Okay, okay. I, I'd love I, to watch, see them. I pay attention to right wing social media. They clip that stuff all the time. I I know they do because they want to use it. You know, as as political um, uh, weaponization. If, if I wanted to clip left extremism all day long, I could do yeah. the same thing I do right now on the right. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's. I do genuinely want to devote some of a future episode to this because, you know, I I recognize that your view as a conservative is as important as anybody else's. And I'm very much sitting on the fence politically, but I have a European perspective. And that is that I don't see, you know, like the Green New Deal, I always use as an example. Well, those are examples. Yeah. But that's, there's nothing extreme about that. It's just normal for the rest of the world. And well, there, yet here in the US, people, people think it's outrageous. Well, there are like you could take, for example, like gas stoves or something like that, which is I admittedly blown out of proportion, yeah. but there is certainly an argument to be made as to whether if the United States in isolation does something, whether that will has a dramatic effect on climate change if China and other countries don't do anything um, to. Yeah, but you have to lead by example. And it has to be a worldwide effort. Yeah, but, you know, America is the second biggest polluter in the world. So you have to lead by example. And there's this thing called collective responsibility. And, you know, in Europe, most of the stoves that are sold now have an electric element on them. And I mean, I found out the other day that having a gas stove, you're burning methane in your own house. You're effectively gassing yourself. Like, who would want that? So, you know, there is a legitimate argument for a lot of these points. And I want to look at it together with you because it just I find it fascinating. Finally, we don't have much time, but I want to talk about this last thing with Lauren Boebert and and, um, Tuberville talking about taking credit, basically, for for Biden's um, uh, Biden's policies. Tell us about this. Yeah. And you always get the same response from them. You know, this is this is a common trick. And it's great that the administration and the Democratic Party are finally, you know, really calling them out on this stuff. But the Biden administration is really good about doing this, um, which is, yeah, this is a this is an old hat Republican tactic, which is to vote against a spending bill. But then when a certain part of the spending bill benefits their district, They want to claim credit for that. They want to be at the ribbon cutting ceremony and all of that. So and of course, their explanation is always the same, which is uh, the old saying, you know, uh, another man's or or another congressman's pork is the other person's, uh, you know, critical need for their district. So, yes, I mean, Boebert will will love something happening in her district that some kind of funding that she voted against. 
but decries every project in everybody else's district as wasteful spending. So, so that's always the argument is, well, I would have voted for that one thing, which benefited my district, but I didn't like all the other stuff that was in the bill. Well, let, let me, read the, democracy let me read the tweet that's on the screen for yeah. those who are listening on the podcast. It says an Amtrak passenger train just derailed in California. Two weeks ago, a highway collapsed in Philadelphia. Stuff like this is going on constantly in America. We're sending our money all over the world, but our own country is falling down around us. That's what Lauren Bobert posted. And uh, you, you wrote at the top, she voted against the infrastructure bill. Yeah, so... Then, then, so then they always come back and go, well, the infrastructure bill didn't have a lot of infrastructure in it. And, and then what I always say is, okay, tell me about Donald Trump's infrastructure bill. What did that, what was in that? Because yeah. he never proposed anything. Well, it was so, always infrastructure weak. Yeah. So, I mean, the, it's like the, the perfect is the enemy of the good or, you know, it's, it's, it's just like you can always find something wrong, but you can't just vote against everything and then try and claim credit for it. Okay, we have to finish, but uh, another very exciting episode of MAGA Uncovered. Ron, you are a great friend, and I'm very thrilled that we get to sit in separate boxes in, <laughs> in our own space yeah. and share this hour together. Um, I'm Anthony Davis. Don't forget to follow us both on Twitter. I'm the Anthony Davis, and he is Ron Filipkowski because nobody else got that name. Uh, you can catch me every day on the 5-Minute News podcast and on Sunday hosting the weekend show here on the Midas Media Network. We'll be back next time at the same time here with Midas Touch. Midas Touch.